May we not sit complacently or kind of like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as you inspired these words to be recorded, you would breathe life in this moment. That these true accounts would so impact us again and shape us that we would go from here renewed in mind, stirred in faith, with courage and boldness into a world which thinks differently. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for me is in this privileged moment of, of speaking, sharing, of drawing some thoughts. It's a great honor, Jesus. But above all, may you speak. Amen. Amen. Our passage is from John chapter 8. We're going through John in our morning, picking up at verse 30 in John chapter 8. Remember, Jesus has been at the temple, Feast of Tabernacles, Lots of things have happened. And Jesus uh, spoke to them. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And it kind of causes a bit of a stir. Because who is the light of the world? God is. And he speaks about how he and his father are one. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. This is what happens when we... When Jesus is around, people put their faith in him, even today. That's what we're praying, that people would put their faith in Jesus. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. Because you have no room for my word, I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you do what you've heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you're Abraham's children, said Jesus, then would you do the things Abraham did? Sorry, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the things your own father does. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and 
you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks uh, sorry, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This the Jews exclaimed. Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, said the Jews. And you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. A local priest and a pastor stood side by side on a road holding up a sign. It read in big letters, the end is near, turn yourself around now before it's too late. And they planned to hold up the sign to every car that passed by. First driver yelled, you religious nuts, leave us alone, and sped on. From around the curve, they heard a big splash. Do you think, they said to one, each to the other, we should put up a sign that says the bridge is out instead. <laughs> truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. It's one of the themes that comes up again and again in, in John's gospel. Jesus is the truth. And it's very, very pertinent for today, for this day and age, this culture, this climate that we live in. Truth. We're told what is truth. We hear again and again of those places and institutions that should maintain truth but seem to have wavered. Plebgate, the police, Hillsborough, 
Can you believe and trust your friends? Are they telling the truth? President Obama, have you been tapping my phones? Well, we're not presently, and we won't in the future. What does that mean? Says Phil. <laughs> Truth. Truth matters. Jesus so, so wants us to know the truth. He tells us. In this phrase, I tell you, truly I tell you. Old versions, verily I tell you. Truth matters because truth will set us free. Lies will enslave us. Truth will liberate. Lies will control. Truth will lead to life. Lies lead to death. Truth matters in this age of relativism. Who can we believe? What can we believe? Should we believe and trust Jesus? Well, you know I'm going to say yes. No surprise there. But particularly so that this Jesus, whom we proclaim and preach and urge one another to trust in, leads to life. But those foundations have been so undermined, so questioned, partly through our own fault as the church, that we're not immune to these scandals of trustworthiness. And so people in the world will make an assessment, say, can we believe the church? Can we believe in its message? Can we trust what it says when there is so much hypocrisy? But undoubtedly through it all, we can trust in Jesus. He doesn't lie. He doesn't deceive. He doesn't distort. He is truth. In an age, uh, we, we're called a postmodern age. Have you heard that phrase? Um, I wonder how long postmodernity will last. A little bit of sociology. Modernity was that age up till about the 70s, kind of really shaken uh, in the foundations through the Second World War and, and so many of the things that went on in the 60s and 70s. And people beginning to think, well, can we explain everything with one story? And people began to think, well, one truth for you might be okay, but I have another truth. I'm going to adopt a truth from somewhere else. I'm going to live my life with some principles that have, been, have either come from the East, from um, kind of Hinduism or Buddhism, or I don't like this bit of truth personally. It kind of caused, I don't, it, you know, it's a bit of a stumbling block to me. So I'm going to take that bit of truth away and replace it with another and so we get into this age where we are now of what we call relativism. What's true for you may not be true for me. One truth is as good as another truth. That's a paradox, actually, because there is one truth. The best way I've kind of come across of describing the culture in which we live is say, if you, who likes jigsaws? Younger ones are going, what's that? <laughs> Have they invented virtual jigsaws and iPads yet? I don't know. Uh, jigsaws are those old-fashioned things that, that live in cupboards, and you get them out of a box, and they're all in pieces. But on the front of the box is a great picture. And if you start off, uh, children have them. My, my little uh, goddaughter likes jigsaws, but she has about 10 pieces. Um, 
Uh, I remember having to do a thousand-piece jigsaw. The worst one I saw was a, just a plate of beans, you know, like beans. <laughs> a thousand pieces of beans. Modernity is like a jigsaw, effectively, in that there's a big picture, and you put the pieces together and it makes sense. Postmodernity is kind of jettisoning that. You take your thousand-piece jigsaw, you take a few handfuls and throw them out, you rip the picture off the cover of the box, and then you go back to the shop and take some handfuls of other jigsaws that happen to be in the shop, mix them up, and then try and make a picture that works. That's the culture we live in now. It doesn't work. Jesus says the truth sets us free. And knowing that truth will set us free. You know, we might rearrange things all we want. We might think we know best. I came across a great story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it makes the point. Uh, of a lady who, who kind of boldly, excitedly came and said to some friends one day, I've made it all better. And they said, what have you done? She said, well, I went to the graveyard, and it was all a bit of a mess. See, when people started to bury people, they had, you know, they would bury one person here, and because there was lots of space, they'd bury the, uh, the grandchild or, or the, the grandfather. They, they, everyone was higgledy-piggledy. So I've cut the grass, I've mowed the lawn, and I've ordered it. What do you mean? Well, I've put all the families together. That must have been a big job. Well, yes, it was. I got all the headstones and I moved them into one place. Now they're all together. It made sense to her. You can see the flaw in her idea. She'd rearranged things superficially, but the truth was still the truth. Truth matters. The truth of Jesus matters. As, as, as Jesus was talking, people became very hostile, particularly the Jewish leaders of this age, particularly those who were there in the temple who had learned and they, they thought they knew how things worked and they'd spent lots of time thinking about it and constructing a worldview. And, and Jesus kind of said, I'm telling you the truth, dear friend. And at the end of the encounter, they picked up stones to do away with him. Because Jesus has a habit of, of, of laying his finger, laying a word, laying truth into our lives that shakes us up, that cuts to the heart, that gets deep down and says, this is real, this matters. Will you trust the truth? persist in lies and half-truth and distortion and make-believe. And I can think it's all right, but in my little opinion, who will we trust? There was a man who was, who was captivated by, by Eastern philosophies and religion, spent a long time thinking about all those ways. And, and in conversation, didn't see the need for Jesus at all. He was very clever, but would always ask Christians, why do you keep going on about Jesus? One day, this bright spark came back and said, I've become a Christian. 
How? Well, not only was he very clever and very learned and read many things, he was also very compassionate. And in his compassion, he volunteered at a local nursing home. And one day, he was at the bedside of an old lady who was dying. And he was trying to bring her some comfort and speaking from what he knew. And he started to explain to her his particular philosophy about life and how things worked. And he said the longer he tried to talk to this dear lady, the emptier and the hollower his words began to sound. Because he realized that the woman couldn't lay hold of any of it. Nothing was for her in his philosophy. He realized at that moment that any philosophy of life that didn't apply to everyone, that only applied to the educated or the middle class or young people, any philosophy that didn't apply to everyone, he knew would be false. He realized it needed to be true for everyone. Listen. Does your philosophy, does your thinking, does that which you deeply believe, does it work for everyone? Or is it a pick and mix that suits you? Does it work for everyone? For just the well-educated people? Or the people who are well-off or have initiative? Or who have drive and get up and go? Or money or status or privilege? Does it work for everyone? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And the track record of the gospel is that it does work for everyone. For rich and poor, male and female, slave or free, whatever ethnicity or background, it works. The truth sets free. No matter where or when or who. If God said to someone, the only way to get into heaven is all you have to do is walk across the street, it would not work for those who cannot walk. If God said, the way to get in, all you need to do is memorize some scripture and some verses and be able to repeat them, it would not work for people who struggle with learning disabilities. If God said, the way to get in, all you need to do is go to church every Sunday, it would not work for those who are housebound or for those for whom gathering is banned. The gospel says all you need to do is trust in Jesus and the truth will set you free. He says it. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. Infants trust. The disabled trust. Anybody can trust. The gospel is good news because it doesn't rely on us. It relies on Jesus. Truth matters. Truth matters because it brings us freedom. Who likes freedom? Teenagers do. Who likes freedom? Well, I've got, uh, you know, the family's gone away. My, my friend uh, was just saying his uh, kid, wife and children have gone away. He said, oh, it's great, you know, extra hour in bed. 
lying, no dirty nappies. It's bliss, it's freedom. Freedom matters. Freedom is what the gospel promises. Not just in this world, but for a new life. For living now and for life to come. Freedom here and now. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. Free from slavery, free from law, free from death, free from injustice, free from debt, free from tyranny. Freedom today. A thinker called Niebuhr said, no amount of contrary evidence seems to disturb humanity's good opinion of itself. Jesus with the, the religious Jews. Just as let me get a footnote here to what I'm saying. It's, it's, if you're a student of, histo- of history, you'll understand that this particular passage and other bits in John have often been used by the Nazis and others to say, God hates Jews. That they've used this passage as a justification to say Jews are of the devil and it would be best if they were wiped out. That's a complete distortion. Jesus was Jewish himself. Romans chapters 9 to 11 speak of God's love for all people, whether Gentile or Jew. But Jesus does speak quite bluntly to them doesn't he? Your father's the devil. You know, I've seen people get into fights for less. Your dad, you know, people talk about your mum, but your dad the devil? I mean, it's bad stuff. Jesus isn't being unkind. He's not being difficult. He's saying it like it is. You think you're the kind of the true people of God, but you're not. You, you think you deserve to be in God's family, but you don't because you're rejecting me. You think that because, because you happen to have been born into a particular race that was started, you know, the God's people by Abraham, who's a man of great faith, who trusted God's word and stepped out. Well, because you're in that kind of club, you're okay. And Jesus said, mm, no. If you want to be part of club, forgive the language, if you want to become part of the family, if you want to become truly one of God's people, it's not because you've happened to be born there by by fate of birth, but you've chosen to enter it in the context of then some of the Jews believed. Always truth leads to belief, and belief, when we trust in Jesus, sets us free, because we start to follow him, we start to live for him and his ways. We make it our choice, our personal conviction that we do this, not because your husband or wife does it, not because your mum or your dad come to church, not because you've been to church for ages and you're a good old Baptist or a good old whatever you happen to have been in your legacy. No, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We need saving. It's what the gospel's about. Being set free from all that traps us and we're powerless to do it. Two great ways of describing it. You know, in our, in our culture that, that says, oh, you know, I believe what I want, thanks. Stop banging on about Jesus. Well, unless you recognize you need saving, 
unless you recognize you're in a desperate place. Unless you know that without Jesus, you are trapped and living in darkness and with fear and no hope. Unless you understand that, why would you turn to a savior? Imagine you're in a burning house and there's a beam blocking the door and the smoke is filling the room and you can feel the heat and you are powerless to do anything about it. What would you do? Probably cry for help. And what happens? A fireman comes, or a firewoman, a fire officer, whoever they are, comes into the building, risking their own life to rescue you because you need rescuing. Or imagine you're at the beach swimming and your foot gets trapped under a rock and the tide's coming up and you're going to drown. The water is coming higher and higher and higher. What are you going to do? Say, I don't believe they're going to drown. The water won't have any effect on me. You cry, help! And a lifeguard would come and risk their life to set you free. No amount of contrary evidence seems to disturb humanity's good opinion of itself. I don't need that, thank you. Jesus is the truth. It's writ large in John's Gospel. Chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 of chapter 1, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John 14, we'll get there soon. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Even indeed for Pilate, when Jesus is standing before him, they're having this discussion, and you know, you've, you've had this discussion with people. What is truth, says Pilate? And truth was standing before him, looking him in the eyes and saying, here I am. Christianity isn't a bundle of ideas, it's a person. Christianity isn't just a philosopher and a philosophy or an ideology. It's the person of Jesus who reveals to us fully and completely, finally and wonderfully all that there is to know about God because he said, I am with the Father and through the Father, through Jesus, we see the Father and the glory of God. It's wonderful. And in being set free, we become children of God, sons, not slaves. It's not about church attendance. It's not about because we've been here, but it's knowing Jesus. This passage does sound shocking and harsh and abrupt, maybe to our Western ears in this contemporary climate. Maybe we think of Jesus and his teaching in terms of sweet gentleness and reasonableness, helping to understand the love of God by nice, gentle illustrations drawn from life. And it seems here, frankly, bad manners. But this is urgent for us. And in case you miss it, Jesus is particularly blunt. He does away with all this nonsense. He's just a good teacher for us. He does away with all this flannel to say, well, just take some of the great nuggets of Jesus' teaching. It's not enough. What did he say in, this, in verses 42 to 49? Eight statements. He says that he knows God intimately as Father. No one else does. That he has 
been by God, that Jesus is utterly sinless. Who else can claim that? The, the Jewish leaders couldn't come back and say, actually, Jesus, you know, when you were dishonest then. Not at all. No one could counter his statement. Did you hear it? I'm sinless. Verse, uh, fourthly, he speaks the very words of God. He's not just speaking on his own. He speaks to humanity, to us. The very words of the eternal God. He is, Jesus himself, the focus of God's glory. The spotlight is on him. That Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Seventhly, the one Abraham saw when in 2,000 years, you know, it's, it was so far before Jesus, Abraham, as it is, we are past 2,000 years since. And this is what scandalizes the Jewish people. How can you, Jesus, say this? But he says, Abraham foresaw, Paul writes to Galatians, to the Galatian church, chapter 3.8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Abraham, the one they turned to and said, we're his offspring. Abraham saw the day God would come amongst us in Jesus. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus just launches the Scud missile. He says, I'm none other than Yahweh, God himself. I am I tell you the truth, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Turn to Exodus 3, verse 14, and see how God describes himself when Moses says, who are you? I am who I am. God's reply. Isaiah 41, uh, verse 4. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. 43.10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Truth matters. Jesus matters. It is for freedom that we are set free. We encourage people to read the word, to read the scriptures. I'm not going to make you feel guilty and ask you, how much have you read the Bible today, this week? Have you read it more than Hello Magazine? Listen to the archers, all that stuff. But you know, we're imbibing things all the time. The scriptures are really important because they point to Jesus. That in learning about them and him, we learn how to rethink to live his ways, not just to be good British people, whatever nationality you are, if I upset you with that statement, sorry. We're called to citizenship in heaven. Come to Jesus. Know the truth, the truth will set you free. Free from what? I listed some things before, but set free from many things. One of the, con the, the most common statements in Scripture is, do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid, again and again. What does he set us free from? Well, he gives us life, sets us free from death. He sets us free from guilt. 
Augustine, one of the great theologians of the church, said he was weighed down by the burden of knowing he was not good enough. And he came to Jesus and he said, I, ah, the guilt went. Wesley, carrying that sense of I'm not good enough. And he said his heart was strangely warmed. Jesus sets us free from guilt. He forgives us. Jesus on the cross said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, who's been stoned, said, Lord, forgive them. The author of Amazing Grace, who is a slave trader, knew the forgiveness of God that wiped the slate clean. Fear of death. Are you frightened of death? Are you frightened that one of your children will die? Jesus sets you free. Are you being controlled? and held captive to money worries. Jesus sets you free. You know, scriptures replete with things of, of be giving, be generous. How can that be, Jesus, in the topsy-turvy kingdom? Well, because he sets us free from being controlled by the love of money, because we trust in him and are able to be generous. I've seen Jesus set free and heard the testimonies firsthand of people who are set free because they've got themselves stuck in silly things, dangerous things like the occult and have become enslaved by evil spirits and dark thoughts. And I've seen Jesus break the powers of evil just like that. The truth sets you free. I've seen those who are controlled and controlling be set free. Of those who've been trapped by worry, are thinking, oh, what will tomorrow bring? Being set free and liberated to trust be God because God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Set free from suspicion. Set free from paranoia. Jesus sets us free from the past and the present and the future. Come to him. Come to him. In Hebrews, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He sets you free completely. Paul to the Romans, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. If you know your life's trapped, it's like you're in a burning house or you're about to drown. He is the rescuer, your savior. For all those things that are still trapping you, come to Jesus the truth. Those mind games, those insecurities, those fears. Do not be afraid. Be free. Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ sets us free. Let's stand together.